This podcast contains material that some listeners may find distressing. Content includes explicit language and themes related to workplace bullying, harassment, sexual harassment, intimidation, stalking, physical and sexual violence, discussions relating to self-harm and suicidality, disordered eating, other mental health issues, sexism, racism, and homophobia. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Behind Blue Doors, a podcast where women and allies have the right to speak their truth and share their stories. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Behind Blue Doors for another episode. I am Lee, and your other co-host is Mo. And our guest today is, go ahead. I'm not sure if we're using your name. Claudia. Claudia. Yeah, I'm good with that. (laughs) There we go. Okay, so Claudia, my understanding is that you've worked for a couple of police services as well as the military. Yes. I'd like you to start just where you're comfortable and where you'd like to start telling your 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 story from. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to be a little, as I've explained to you, Leah, just a little evasive in terms of my complete background as I just want to stay as anonymous as possible. Yeah, I'm coming up on halfway through my career in policing um, in Ontario, and I've worked for a couple of services now, two of them. And uh, through that time, I've worked in different areas within the police service and have experienced uh, numerous of different things. And then obviously, prior to policing, I was also um, involved with the army, which I think a lot of um, both men and women prior to policing, that's kind of a bit of a gateway profession as well. For sure. So that's kind of my background. Now, when you say involved in the army, Claudia, do you mean the reserves or did you actually go over in the military? So I was involved in the reserves. Okay. So I did a lot of the training here and then I got hired fairly young with policing. So just never got the opportunity to go overseas. Right. Okay. Uh, So Claudia, why don't you start by just telling us, I know that it's been a difficult journey for you. When, when did, or what have you, what was it for you in the, in these military and paramilitary organizations that have you now with halfway through your career feeling uneasy? I guess maybe I'll use that word right now and you can clarify what that looks like for you. So I think because I joined the military young um, and then subsequently joined policing fairly young, I didn't really have any other work experience to gauge what like normal interactions with coworkers or supervisors or anything would be. I did um, suffer some things throughout the military as well that I wish had never happened. And I find that there is a common trend both in policing and in the army that if you say something, things will get worse for you. So just whatever has happened to you, suck it up and internalize it and move on because nobody wants to hear about your problems, especially as a female. And so because of that, I think I was always just very, this is the way things are. And I think in the last probably two years, there hasn't been one particular moment or one particular thing that has stood out as being the tipping point or, you know, the the crux of like my kind of, I guess not suffering. Well, it is suffering. Of course it is. It's been a lot of little things that have amounted and a lot of ignorance and lack of empathy and leadership that has kind of led me to the last mainly two years to just be very frustrated in this career that I once loved. And now I debate leaving. In my previous service, I worked in an area. And at first, 
I kind of took it as a compliment when people would be like, oh, you're actually really good at this. I'd be like, oh, well, thank you. But then I started to kind of step back and look and be like all the other males that worked with me, nobody ever approached them to be like, hey, you're actually good at this job. Like they never got that. They were just assumed that because they were in that role, that they were good and proficient at that role. And then when I would do my role, I would get eye rolls and oh, we go, here's a female getting up and doing this. And then by the end of, you know, the interaction, it was, oh, you're actually pretty good at this. And it was kind of like, well, I would get frustrated because I'm like, yes, I'm good at this. I worked hard to be here and I know my job and I know my role and I practice and I'm proficient at it. And it would frustrate me that I was always seen as having to prove myself in that role rather than It becomes exhausting, doesn't it, Claudia? When you're constantly having to prove yourself every single day that you deserve to be there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I find very frustrating and I know is common for lots of police women is the feeling of you have to be better at everything you do compared to a male to be considered even close to being equal or being accepted as, you know, a valuable member of the the unit or the service. I agree. You always have to prove to be better just to be seen as equal. Yes. Which Mm -hmm. is very frustrating because you're always having to overachieve and work that much harder and put that much more time in and make sure that you don't complain and that everything is perfect on your end. Because if you say so much as anything that you're seen as a complainer or a whiner and you're a female and you're not meant for this career, you're not up for the challenge. Right. Or heaven forbid you ask a question or don't understand something, right? Yes. A male counterpart can ask a question and it'll be seen as, oh, that was a good question. It's good you asked it. But a female will ask the question and everyone looks They're like, didn't you know that? (laughs) No. Absolutely. And I find that in my last year, year and a half especially, has been the most mentally taxing for me for this career. And I'm married to a police officer as well. And I don't paint a picture of all police officers or males especially as having the same attributes and qualities and views on policing and women in policing. There are amazing men out there and I'm married to one of the the best. I love him dearly. And, but the last year, year and a half has been the most taxing in terms of the way supervisors and coworkers and just the way the service has viewed me and treated me. Like the moment I I got to my newer service, like there were comments made that, you know, we're, we're thankful that you're here because we have someone that can cook for us now. Oh, wow. And there was other comments as well that were made that I don't even want to repeat that were made on parade. And for those that are listening that don't understand what parade is, parade is at the beginning of your shift, you go in and it is probably the most kind of professional meeting you could have throughout your day. The supervisors sit in front and they explain what's been going on that you've missed, what needs to be brought to attention. You get your your zone or your area that you're working and your assignments for the day. And But is it the most professional meeting you have in the day? I mean, I think it's supposed to be, but in your experience, and Lee, in your experience, is that more, is that meeting really professional? No, no, no. And I mean, some of the comments that have been made, like, have shocked me to my core that I sit there and I don't even have a rebuttal or I don't even have a comment to explain the unprofessionalism because I'm just like, I can't believe, I like, I can't fathom that that comment has been made. And it's, 
all to do with females. Claudia, can you share some of what those comments, you know, I think it's just important for the audience to really understand what we sit through and have to listen to on a, on a regular. Um, some of the comments are about the female, like how they look, and it could be a female that, you know, somebody attended to a call and whether they be, you know, the victim or the person that called in or the, you know, the person or the subject that they're dealing with, it's all to do with their appearance and, you know, yeah putting them down to one thing. And I mean, some of the comments that have been talking about and the words that have been used by, you know, the leadership that are running this parade, so not necessarily the constables, but the leadership that's running it are, you know, in relation to a female's tits, as they put it, and the size of them, or in relation to their pussy lips, referring to, you know, their their vagina. And yeah. having to sit there and listen to that, especially when you're the only female that is sitting Oh God, there. you're the only female on your team? Yes. Wow. Crew? Oh God. And having to sit there and listen to that and everyone laugh about it and joke about it and then just feel again ostracized that the female is just, that's what they're reduced to, is an object. Mm-hmm. And an object for the men to kind of talk about and fantasize about or whatever they want to say. And again, then that kind of perpetuates that we as females in policing are again reduced to that. And it's very difficult to sit through that. And then that be the only supervisor that you have that you and can you're supposed to. to be. And if you had a problem, that's supposed to be the person you're supposed to report to. And of course, it's like, that's not who I'm going to report to because I already know how this person's going to handle it then. Yes. And then having to sit through conversations where they're things that are being said that are incorrect that, you know, have to do with Canadian law or things that we learn at the Ontario Provincial Police College, uh, Police College, sorry, and things that were taught in the infancy of policing that are being described on parade are wrong. That could get somebody into trouble, especially if it's a younger officer that is really soaking in that information. And then mm-hmm. I'll step up and say, okay, respectfully, that's incorrect. And back it up with, you know, the criminal code or the the police services act or case law or whatever it is. And then just get completely shunned on parade as being, you know, you don't know anything and know your place and shut up. Do you think that they treat you like that at this new service that you're at because they they're, they're treating you like a rookie? They're treating you like you don't know anything, even though you've come from a background of many years in policing already? I don't think so because there are a lot of people that have come from other services and I have worked with them on my, you know, in my different areas of policing while in the new service and they do not get treated at all the same way at all. Right. And are these most of these people men? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Right. And, and uh, did you ever have experiences uh, with this type of talk and behavior at any of the services when you were would you when you would be lodging, let's say someone in the cells or working in the cell block area? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's transparent across or sorry, not transparent. It's it's a systemic thing. It's not just where I currently work, yeah. but everywhere that I go to within the service, whether it's for, you know, meetings or to do different tests or to engage in different activities, volunteer or whatever. It doesn't matter who I've engaged with. This has been kind of a common theme. And and I don't like sitting by when I see an issue. I don't like to sit by and allow that issue to continue. I also don't like to just bring up issues without ways to fix it. So I have approached many leadership levels within my service to bring up that there is a systemic issue with sexism and misogyny. 
And it's almost like it falls on deaf ears that some appear to be actively listening and engaged and want to make changes and really take hold of what you're saying. And I hear you and absolutely, this is a problem. I don't ever want you to feel this way. And then I provide different solutions, but it almost then comes back to bite me in the butt and nothing gets done, one. And two, it's all it's seen as, wow, we had no idea this was a problem. We've spoken to many other police women and they've never expressed the same issues that you do. Mm, so it must be you. It must be you, Claudia. <laughs> but that's what it is. And I've been called and said, okay, what are some of the things that have happened and are you wanting to put a complaint in? And I said, no, because it's not a singular problem. It's not a me problem. I have spoken to countless police women within the service from multiple different areas. And they all say the same thing. But nobody wants to speak up because of how they've got this process set up that if you complain, you could be moved from your current position to a different one. So now you're penalized, which could then affect your personal life. Because if you're now having to drive an extra half hour, 40 minutes, or it's a different schedule, now your personal life is uprooted. So is this conflict at work and what you're feeling and the mental anguish that you're going through worth now upsetting your personal life as well? So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, is where I now work to gain any kind of training, you have to fill out a form. That form then gets sent through, you know, different levels of management Chain to be approved. Yeah, exactly. So now, if you're not well-liked or if you're seen as a problem child because you put a complaint in, there's a chance that you're not going to get that training. And then lastly, the potential for paid duties, which is for those listening that aren't aware, paid duties are opportunities for officers to go and work at different events and they're being paid by the people that run the events. So if you see security at like a fair or, you know, a symposium or something like that and you have an officer there, the chances are they're being paid by the people running that uh, event. So you're kind of outsourced. Mm -hmm. So the chances for paid duties and overtime are also reduced because that also doesn't go through an automated program. It is through word of mouth. And it is also, hey, do you want to work this? Yes, I would. Okay, I've got you down. So again, if you're not well liked, and if you're not seen, or if you are seen, sorry, as a problem child, then your chances for those opportunities will absolutely diminish. So so they're paid duties. Their, their selection process for the pay duty system, just because the service I work for, it's electronic and mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it wasn't always, but it is now. It's a much more fair process based on the amount of hours and time and so forth that, that you already have. And then it's given to somebody who doesn't have as much. So it's, it's not done like that at your service. No, I'm sure it's where you guys probably were before where it's a piece of paper and you've got to know people or you've got to get in there quick enough to say, hey, I want this, right? So it's a yeah. piece of paper and you fill out your name. Well, wow, that's, um, uh, that's pretty historic. Yeah, so those are three major things though that can affect your, you know, your choice of wanting to put in a complaint because like historically, you're not going to get backed up. And oftentimes the female is observed as being the problem and the person that were the perpetrator is seen as, oh, well, they're making it up. They're just trying to get you in trouble, like hang in there. This will all go away. So there's no support for females when they do put in a complaint, especially when it has to do with sexism or sexist comments or a feeling that, you know, you're being isolated because of your gender. And that again, I, I've spoken to so many other police women about this and it is a common trend across everywhere. And I know it's not just the service, but when I've spoken to upper level management about this, it's, it's, again, it comes back to almost being a singular problem. And because I'm one of the only ones willing to kind of put my voice out there, 
I'm seen as the problem. And again, now I put my career on the line. I, I put my career on the line as, am I going to get to go and work in these different areas that I have aspirations to work in? Or am I going to be blackballed? Because I've already been told by bringing some of these issues up is know your place and shut up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I was told my entire career to be quiet. You need to be quiet. You need to be quiet. Like, oh, if you want to get into this, my, 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 at the time it was my staff sergeant and I was trying to get into the criminal investigation bureau at the time. And he was like, you're, you're great. And you'll do great in there. But they think like the, 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 the management that's in CIB thinks you're too opinionated. So just tone it down. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do that. What about you, Claudia? Who who told you that uh, you need to shut up? Is this other women telling you not to talk? Or is it now, did any of the women you did speak to speak to the fact that they're afraid or that it's not worth it? Or Yeah, and I think also because usually a lot of the time, the ones that are most fearful to say anything are newer to policing. They're that zero to five years. They don't really know what to do. And they're trying so hard at this time to seek the approval of their bosses and seek the approval of their coworkers and, you know, be told they're doing a good job. Like they, they already see, you know, the double standard. I mean, it comes right from, you know, when you first join the job, like I remember in training being pulled aside, all the females being pulled aside. And this is training. I'm not a constable. I haven't gone to the police college yet. And I remember being pulled aside the group of females. The males never got pulled aside, but the females did to essentially allude to not being loose don't sleep around, don't have relationships with men. This is how you will be viewed. If you want to be viewed as an adequate and proficient worker, you don't engage with men. (laughs) And then when you come back from OPC on the Ontario Police College, um, I know this happens to a lot of females. And I've spoken to some recently that, you know, they were told during their coaching time, which is when you're with a senior, you know, a more experienced officer and learning how to be a constable on the road. They're told you have two options as a female. You're either a slut or you're a bitch choose the path you want to go down. Actually, I've heard three. There's three, apparently. There's slut, bitch, or airhead. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't want any of those options. Right. Well, I think if if any, you're going to pick the bitch. I mean, I would. (laughs) Well, and I I think one of the points is, is how can the men were pulled aside and said, this is inappropriate behavior. You can't go... You shouldn't be sleeping around and you shouldn't Keep be... Keep your penis you know, in your pants, boys, right? Right. But that's never a discussion. And I think we can all say, and I mean, I'm not speaking on behalf of you guys, but I I have seen that, you know, majority of the time, you know, their men and their personal relationships, it's applauded for. And I remember even one time in the report room watching a male officer walk in and said, well, guys, I finally did it. I cheated on my wife tonight. And everyone was like, oh, that's awesome, man. Oh, but like, yeah, it's awesome. If a female were to even suggest, right, that she was even having or dating a male officer, oh, well, that's a problem. You can be seen as a slut, that you're loose and you have no morals. And it's like, well, that's my personal relationship. So I'm not really sure why that's even in question and why we're even talking about that. And it has no bearing on how I do my job as an officer. So one of the other large pet peeves that I have is the term PW and PW stands for policewoman. So, you know, from an outsider looking in PW, police W, 
makes sense. But the connotation that follows PW, and you hear it all the time, oh, all PWs are the same. Oh, that's just a loose PW. Like there's always, it's the PW is always associated with a negative term. Agreed. And it bothers me because you hear it all the time. Like, oh, you all PWs are all the same. You guys are, and it's like, well, what does that even mean? And who's, who's creating who's that this narrative? royal we? Yeah. So, and it, it, and it's extremely frustrating. And I find that unfortunately, you know, there are good men that are there and do see it, but, and I don't blame them. They also don't want to speak up because they see what happens to the females. They see how they get, you know, uprooted. You're absolutely right, Claudia. And, and in my experience, I've, I've even seen men who have chosen to stick up for women in policing and it hasn't gone well for them or their career. Like Mm -hmm. they're done. It's the same thing. So really, when you have a good friend or a colleague that you think a lot of, we would probably be the first one to talk them out of ever saying anything on our behalf as well, because you'd feel bad, like if something bad happened to them. So it is a real, it's a real catch 22, right? Because you can't blame people for not coming forward. So have all of your um, complaints, Claudia, or have been informal, just sort of going and having a discussion with your higher up and just saying, hey, like this is what I'm seeing, this is what it's making, how it's making me feel and, or, or whatever, you know, has that been informal or have you done any official grievance processes or anything like that? No, I haven't done any official grievance processes because again, I have already observed and spoken to some females that have recently gone through them. Mm -hmm. And the overwhelming message was it was extremely difficult and a lot of people let them down and people that said yes you need to put this in I will support you I have examples when push came to shove they all disappeared yeah so I look at it and go okay well what's better for me like I I don't know that I'm willing to put up with having to go through a process that isn't fair and isn't impartial and isn't investigated appropriately for what? Like, I don't know what will come of it because nothing has been proven before to come of it. That's a positive. So I don't want to put myself through that. And that's what I've expressed. But I think a bigger issue as well is from speaking with my husband, he's always said, yes, I have always seen the double standard in policing from women to men. He will openly admit that. However, when he started dating me and as we've progressed through our relationship and he's observed things from work, we will be put in the same situations and he will be treated 100% different. Yeah. And so now he says that having been involved with me and seeing how I'm treated as a policewoman in the service, he, he gets extremely frustrated. He gets very frustrated because he's like, I can't believe that this stuff happens. I can't believe that people say this. I can't believe that people do this and treat you like this. Like, And I think that the problem is, is that there's almost these blinders on because I had a conversation even today with someone from upper management and I made a small comment about sexism in policing. And they said, well, that's pretty much a, an extinct issue. Pardon? <laughs> wow, since when? What? Pretty much the old boys club is what I was told is pretty much by the wayside. And I'm like, okay, but that's truly what he believes, which means yeah. there's a lot of men that truly believe this because they've got blinders on and refuse to listen or open their eyes to the real problems. And well, I think too, they it's because it used to be it used to be so 
uh, obvious and loud. And, and now that behavior, it's still all happening. It's just done in a different way. It's more quiet. It's more behind the scenes. It's uh, affecting your lateral moves, your development, right? Um, rather than just straight out, nah, she's a bitch. I don't want to hire her. It's not her. so over. Exactly. But it's still right there. And I find I get frustrated when I look at the statistics for my service. It's not a small service by any means. And it has lower rates. Well, so the provincial rates, it it ranks lower than the average for the province for females in policing. Mm -hmm. And then it is like substantially lower. And I I, don't quote me on the numbers, but I want to say it was somewhere between 17 to 20% for females in upper level management. And then my service was sitting in around five. Yeah. Yeah. Five percent. So it was substantially lower. And again, they're not a small service. It is not. So I just don't understand. Well, I guess I can understand. You do understand. You just can't believe they get away with it. (laughs) You do understand. And that's the frustrating part about it. I I oftentimes uh, also get disgusted when going back to that comment you said, well, the boys club is almost is is extinct. I, I I disagree so much because when you when you look at all of these overt acts, whether it's just um, laughing on parade or sexual comment here, sexual comment there by a supervisor and then above, they're constantly perpetuating this. It's like they're grooming each other, that it's okay to be funny and it's okay to say these funny things about women and it's acceptable and everyone's going to like you for it. And they don't realize that it's not extinct. It's it's still going on because every time someone gets away with it, the masses see that. They see that someone yep. got away with it. And then you're leading by example. Exactly. Right? And you're showing the example for what's acceptable. Exactly. And that's what the younger officers observe and deem to be okay because if so-and-so who's in this leadership position can say this and do this, then this must be an okay behavior and I can get away with this. I can get away with it. And if I choose not to go along with this, what will happen to me? I may not be accepted as part I of the team. I may not be accepted, exactly. Yeah. Right? And if you're not accepted as part of the team, whether it's because you're male or female or your religious orientation or your sexual background, it doesn't really matter. If you're not accepted, right, then you're excluded from the shift yes. or your team or your unit. And that might mean you don't get backup on calls, which I have experienced. And you don't get, you know, if someone's going to go meet for coffee or if they're going for breakfast, you don't get that invite. So everyone else, when you look at the map and you can see where all the units are, you see your entire, be it your platoon or your shift or your unit sitting, doing something together mm-hmm. and you're off on your own. And again, it's just... Well, and if you think about it, anyone with a job, no matter what job it is, in any uh, factory or organization, you're in a job and people maybe don't like you or some people don't like you. There's never an issue in most jobs, I'd say, of your safety being a concern where you could possibly be in a life-threatening situation and the people around you aren't going to come and help you unless maybe you choke on your sandwich. But that's just, you know, when you put it like that, when when you realize like these people who are supposed to back me up when I pull a car over and it has a gun or whatever, whatever I'm doing and they don't come or I'm in a fight and they don't come. It's that's it's serious. 
it's it goes yeah. beyond it's, it's all part of that playbook of isolate yes mm-hmm. isolate to gain control and uh, I find women are constantly isolated and I find that women are constantly pitted against each other yes as yes. well like it's gross 100 percent female to female like the way females treat each other like you get some that are gems that are very like okay we gotta stick girl, together girl. Yep. All we have. but then you just have others that are complete nasty and like everything and you always hear oh she only got that position because she was on her knees meaning yeah. she was you know giving yeah. someone a blowjob or mm-hmm. she yeah. only got the position because she flirted or she only got that position because her husband is known to be a really good officer mm-hmm. well why can't I just be a good officer like and I get frustrated with that too because I find recently and I've expressed that to my husband I just feel like I've lost my identity at work I, yeah. I, I felt like I used to be one and now I'm reduced to I'm so-and-so's wife and we love so-and-so. He's amazing. He's awesome. I just want to do this, that, and the other. Like tell him I said hi. And it's kind of like, well, what about me though? Like yeah. I'm damn good at my job and I know I'm good at my job. Yeah. And good for you. I know my shit. I know my laws. I know how to deal with incident command and critical incidents. I know all of that. I'm proficient with all my use of force options and my shooting by far surpasses many males. So like... I know I'm good at my job, mm-hmm. but it's always like, you're so-and-so's wife. And it's kind of like, but that's not my identity. I'm not just a wife. Like I'm, I'm my own person at work and I am proficient at the job and I'm very good at it. And I'm, I will say like, I will toot my horn on this one. Like I am extremely proficient at de-escalating a situation. And I've been told many times that, Hey, if someone's on the edge, like we want you in because you will talk them down without using force. It will take you a while because I have the patience to deal with that person. Right. And I give them the respect of recognizing that they are a human being in yeah. a critical incident. And they're dealing with a, a situation in their life that they may never have to deal with again. And they are in crisis and they deserve that time, that patience that empathy, that rapport building, that humanization Mm -hmm. to be able to have that conversation to decide how are we going to deal with this. And I am really, really good at that. And I get frustrated that I'm just reduced to someone's wife. Yes. Now, before you left the previous service, did did you find that it was a different because like before you were married, was it different? Were you seen as the officer you wanted to be seen as? And that changed when you got married? Yeah, it did. I felt prior to marriage, I was my own officer and I felt like I had a good reputation. And I felt like I was observed as one of the, when I was especially on the road and I was, you know, I was also a coach officer and I had different other um, areas that I was involved in as well. And I was observed as, you know, a leader of the shift or of the platoon and was well-respected who, if you had a question you went to, and that was the one person you didn't want to disappoint right? and that you wanted to put your best foot forward. And so I was seen as, you know, at that time I felt as a valuable member. And then now I don't feel that at all. And my work ethic has not changed. My, you know, passion for wanting to deal with the public and, and whatever their situations are in an appropriate and, you know, human way, that hasn't changed. I haven't become, you know, dissociated. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I, I genuinely enjoy, that's the part of the job I like is I enjoy dealing with the public and I enjoy that interaction and feeling like I've helped 
And that's not always the case. You, you get people that just hate the police and that's fine. Nobody calls police because, hey, I'm having an awesome day. Do you want to come over and have a coffee and join me? Like that's never going to be the phone call. It's right. the phone call is, is I'm, mm-hmm. you know, in distress or somebody has a knife and they, or I want to, ha- I have a knife and I want to kill myself or I want to kill someone else or, you know, nobody's having a good day when they call the police. So going and then ending that interaction on a positive note is what I strive for. To, yeah, you know, it makes it rewarding. And I find it, it always helped me to manage the grief of some of the things we go and we see just to be human and remember to treat everyone, you know, with respect and dignity. And I just found that helped me to get through the grief of, of a lot of stuff we have to see. Well, I think a lot of officers forget, right? Like ultimately, as Sir Robert Peel said, like, we are citizens that are helping the public. We are the public helping the public. And the police are the public. The public are the police. We we don't get our authorities and our abilities to do certain things without public approval. And the only way we get the public approval is by dealing with the public appropriately. And I also look at it, well, I'm part of the public. So how would I want a police officer to deal with me or deal with my mom? Mm-hmm. And some of the interactions I observe and see, I'm like, that's absolutely unacceptable. And not only that, it's not just dealing with the public, but then how do you deal with your coworkers? Because really that's what this boils back down to is... Uh, Claudia, I feel just, like I, oh, sorry. I just wanted to take you back to, uh, you mentioned that prior to being married and in the original service that you were at, did you still see the behaviors though of colleagues that... Oh, absolutely. Right. Like I said, like the gentleman that came in and said, hey guys, I've cheated on my wife for the first time and everyone applauded it. Like that was previous. And there was a lot of like comments that you sit and you listen to and you, you just drown out because you're like, oh my goodness. Like, and again, it's descriptions of who they were with or, you know, you see people and... Did you find though, that have met- I don't know how to describe what I'm trying to say, but do you find, did you find though, because you had your own identity and had, I guess, kind of what we talked about, proven yourself that people didn't maybe do those things quite as much in front of you? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because I find in my personal experience that once you've got somewhat of a reputation, whatever it is, and you have earned some sort of respect from your male counterparts, they start to realize that, yeah, you're not going to put up with that stuff or you don't want to hear it. Yeah. 100%. But again, this also goes back to the a male is accepted for being there as you are capable of of doing the job. Right. And that's where I get frustrated now as I look at all these people that come through that are from different services. And if they're a male, they show up on shift and it's, hey, good to go. Glad you're here. Can't wait to, you know, lean on a bit of your experience and you're awesome. And then I find I show up and it's just, again, I'm starting from ground zero, despite my years of policing experience in the different areas that I've worked in. That doesn't matter. I need to reprove myself. And again, by reproving myself means I need to be better than everybody else to be seen as an equal. And how exhausting is that every single so day? Exhausting. It has taken an extreme mental toll. Like I, um, I have been through some pretty traumatic calls, some of the worst involving babies, involving children's being first on scene to homicides with people's heads that have been shot off, like pulling people from the water because they just killed themselves in the water and then having to go notify their parents that, hey, you know what, your son or daughter just killed themselves. Like I've been to and dealt with a lot of traumatic incidents and none of them have quite given me the same mental anguish that dealing with the bureaucratic 
atmosphere at work has. And 100%, I can totally relate to that. But why why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? And I, I know what I think it is, but I want to ask you, Claudia, why do you think that is? Well, again, I, I feel like, you know, that never when you walk into work, are you coming into a calm and inclusive atmosphere? You're coming in almost on the defense every single day, having to prove yourself every single day. And that you're worried that should you slip up even the tiniest little bit, that suddenly now the stereotypical view of a PW is all of a sudden labeled on you. And it is an impossible label to shake. Yeah. And you're never coming in and just feeling a part of the team or a part of just even a professional atmosphere. I get frustrated because I see sometimes my service is almost like a dating service, the way that they have their employees um, information um, available for people. Like it's, it's not even just like your cell phone number. You have to provide that. And that's available for anyone to see without any restrictions. You don't have to say, hey, I want to see this for court purposes or whatever. You just log on to the internet. You put in that person's name and hey, there's their photo and there is their cell phone number. Wow. And we know from other services that that, that has been uh, a way for some of these predator male officers to stalk women. Mm-hmm. And I've had talks with females that were not even on the road yet, hadn't even shown up to their shift yet because they were just graduating from the police college, already getting messages from men. And not to say, hey, we're excited to have you on the shift. It was asking them out. So essentially, Ugh. it almost seems like the way this is set up is it's like a Tinder and hey, let's swipe right or swipe left and see if we can get in with the new PW. Except for wow. she didn't sign up for it and didn't realize that this was going to happen. And now just wants to have this career and what she's supposed to say. <laughs> exactly. And I know yeah. that there's been issues with group chats with a bunch of male officers yes, that they took has. that photo off of the intranet, um, the internal search engine, and they take that photo of that female and they put it into the chat and then they, oh, she's hot, she's not hot. And it's kind of like, well, again, what does that have any relevance to do with her coming, one feeling included, feeling like she can learn and it's a safe place to learn mm-hmm. and then be able to do her job appropriately. Like you can't because again, you're just seen as a sexual object, not as a professional member. Of no value. It is from the the, the top down, but it's also now from the bottom up for these men to help change the culture. Like we can speak about it all we want, but there's only 20% of us basically in each police service of yours, 5%. You know, we need these male allies, like your husbands and not your, I'm saying that because Mo has a husband as well in policing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't compute, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel like I get frustrated because I, I speak with, you know, close friends about this and my family and there's always, okay, well, what can you do to change it? And I'm like, well, it's hard. I'm trying. Like, I feel like I'm trying to be vocal. I'm I'm reaching out to yes. the different levels of management all the way to the very top to say, hey, there's a problem here. And I'm willing to stick my neck on the line here in my career because this could be career suicide for me bringing up this topic. But there's an issue here. And I've provided different small little things like, hey, let's put out a survey because there are no surveys. Let's put out a surveys just to the females, make it anonymous, and let's get a true perspective on what the issue is here. Because if you don't know, maybe this will enlighten you. Maybe this will show you the problem and encourage you to actually make some proactive change. Or, you know, taking photos off of 
the uh, the internal site and removing cell phones. And then should you want someone's cell phone, okay, if it's for court purposes, I understand, but then there needs to be some sort of security level to be able to get that phone number rather than just have it available. Because I don't think that's appropriate. I have an extension. If you need me for work purposes, you call me on that extension or you send me an email. Right. I shouldn't have to volunteer my cell phone number to the entire service because I was out of call. And there was somebody that was there that was a police officer, however, at the time was not working in the capacity of a police officer. And that night, I received a message, a text message from that person. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. So you had to call someone because you weren't on duty. So you had to call someone to search my name, to get my cell phone number, to send me a message for something you didn't need to send. You did not need to message me. You did not need to figure that out through me. So again, it's just kind of that, well, if I give an inch, will she take it or will she refuse it? And it's Mm. that playing game. It's kind of like, but that's not what my phone number is there for. So I've offered that up as let's just remove the photos. I don't know why everyone needs to see what I look like. That has no bearing again on anything. So there's different things that frustrate me that I've brought forward. And again, it's fallen on deaf ears. And so then it it is discouraging for change because it's kind of like these are just small, very small, minuscule things that you could do to at least show that population of your service that we're working with you. We hear you. We're trying. It might be Mm -hmm. slow, but we're moving in the right direction. And interestingly enough, recently, uh, my own service did the same thing. Just what you were talking about, putting out a survey, essentially. It was about uh, equity and inclusion. And uh, from what I know of, the results were horrendous. And as much as, oh, wow, great, you did it, which is more than what you're saying your service has Mm -hmm. done, Claudia, which I guess is a step in the right direction, but in some ways is worse because they did it and then they've just ignored it. Like it never happened. The problem is, is I think they truly know I really do believe that they truly know there is Of course they do. And they don't want to know the info because once they have that info and once they have the, the, the data and the statistics or whatever it is that they have in front of them, they don't want to deal with how to fix it. Right. Because they know that it is top down and it's going to upset a lot of people and you're no longer going to be part of that boys club. You are the one upsetting that boys club. So now you are the outsider. Right. So, or they do this illusion of making it look like they're doing something. Well, yeah, but- I think it's important to the taxpayer that they actually consider these things and then they consider them and say, well, no, there's not really a problem and we don't really know how to fix it anyway. <laughs> so we're not going to. There's bigger issues, I guess which is ridiculous. Like there's been tons of studies done and tons of reports done and suggestions have been made to numerous police services on, you know, this is a systemic problem. Like you have to address it. And they they just don't. Like I think the Toronto police one, they didn't do, you know, there was a, a report given with all the suggestions and, and it falls, like you said, Claudia, on deaf ears. Like, okay, we've done, like we paid all this money for, you know, this uh, internal investigative report and okay, yeah, looks like we've got some serious issues. Well, okay, and that's that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't think they recognize really truly what it does specifically to female officers. Like again, the mental anguish over the last year, like I have anxiety going to work and not to deal with the job. I'm more comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, in a cruiser or in whatever capacity attending a call or dealing with a call than I am sitting in the division because I don't feel comfortable there. And I just, I get so worked up before going to work and there's different things that I, that physically now have started to happen. And I don't want to get into that, but like it's now taking a physical toll and it's proving itself there. And 
it's it is and you almost start to dissociate from you know family and friends and just kind of isolate yourself because you just feel so darn alone and it's so frustrating because I look at it as well and go it just takes oftentimes one person to say one thing like during that you know parade or that morning meeting or whatever it is that someone's engaging with it doesn't take much even for a male officer instead of it always being the female to say hey that's unprofessional and inappropriate yeah that's all you have to say but that's never even said no it's just you know you get the nods or the laughs or the awkward laughs because some know it's inappropriate but it doesn't take much to just say that's inappropriate and unprofessional. Yeah, knock it off. And the amount of times I've stuck my neck out on parade to do that for other officers and I get frustrated that then I'm seen as the problem and I'm the problem child who's always going to speak up, but it's kind of like, well, who else Someone is needs to? to. Someone needs well, to. Yeah, and who else is going to? It's hard to be that person, that person that always says what everyone else in the room is thinking, but is too afraid to say it. Well, and it's frustrating too, because I know we were all raised with morals and ethics and you were all raised to be nice and treat everyone the way you want to be treated. And the other thing that frustrates me is we promote that with civilians that we deal with. And we also expect civilians, when you see something happening, call or help or jump in and do something. We expect that. We don't just expect everyone to stand by and do nothing. And we get frustrated when we see that and go, buddy, like, or, you know, he or she or whoever it is, call the police. You should have called the police or, you know, the person that does jump in gets the the accolades and good job. You really helped out. Like, but then we look internally yeah. and it's kind of like, do we really promote that internally? If no. we expect that of the public, if we expect that of civilians and citizens, then why the hell don't we expect that of our own police officers in our own working environment? Did you find these same issues in the military? Uh, yeah. And again, I, I was very very young. I was under 18 when I joined and I had, uh, I had someone attempt to rape me. And at that time I was very, very junior. And I was told essentially to be quiet about it. And I was actually treated worse having had that experience. I always had to do more, you know, PT, so running or pull-ups or whatever it was in everyone else. And that's despite, you know, being the best on my infantry course and getting that, you know, that award. It was kind of like, but I was still treated the worst. And I remember when the whole lawsuit and everything came down with the military and they were trying to change their narrative and they had an operation and they titled it honor. So operation honor. And that was to try and promote, you know, being inclusive to women and having them come forward with these complaints and everything like that. And they were going to deal with them appropriately. And I remember at the time hearing, because I was still friends and involved with many people from the army, that all the males joked about it instead of saying it was op honor, it was op on her. Oh, wow. And and having gone through what I went through, and again, the things that stemmed from that and how I had to internally deal with that alone. And then just to hear somebody who's never had to experience that, who's never been in a situation where they feel uncomfortable that something may happen just because you're a female, to then joke about it and turn it from honor to on her and make it seem like the rape culture is okay. Wow. Right. And again, that the victims are the problem. And it's the victim shaming. And and the thing that also really bothers me is when everyone says that policing is a paramilitary organization. In my opinion, my subjective views, it's not. Um, they are completely different entities. Completely different. And 
we are here to serve the public. We are here to go and deal with the public, whatever their complaint is. The army more deals with, you know, conflicts and wars. Like they're not going out and, and, you know, settling civil disputes or dealing with domestics and all these different things. Like we aren't a paramilitary organization. And I think that's been my mistake. I've, I've often called policing a paramilitary organization. I think it's only because of uh, the rank structure. Right. But I yeah. think that's where we fall into a lot of problems is this rank structure. Because I would agree with you. Huge. Yes, I understand you need supervision. But for to say to me as, you know, a lower level or constable that I must only talk to my sergeant who then can only talk to my staff, there's so much information that's lost. There's so much information that could be shared to promote, you know, better outreach programs. And that's how they cool. want to keep it hidden. And then the, you know, the inspector will say to the staff, okay, well, you know, we can't really, that's going to look bad. And so we got to do it this way. And then the staff sergeant, oh, okay, they just, they do what they're told. And then they pass it down to the sergeant and then it gets to you. And it's a completely different narrative of what you need to do. Well, the other thing too, is like when you look at like, chain of command or rank structure, right? And and you think of it as like a paramilitary organization. It's like, I shall do what my supervisor says, but that is 100% not true. Because when I get up on the stand and I'm articulating my subjective actions to a jury or to, to a judge, they have to be deemed objectively reasonable. And for me to say simply, I did what I did because my supervisor told me to, will not fly in saving nope. myself from a criminal charge, a police service act charge, or an internal charge. Yeah. I'm still told that I have to make my independent decisions based on the facts in front of me. And it's not an accept. It's it, again, it's like somebody driving and saying, oh, I had no idea that the speed limit was 80. Well, that's, you know, oblivious to the law is not going to get you out of a charge. So again, yes, there's a rank structure, but I have to make my own independent decisions. And sometimes those decisions have been exactly the opposite of my supervisor. And you know what? We can deal with that afterwards, but I'm not going to put myself on the line for a criminal charge or a possible, you know, um, to get fired from my job and lose lose my livelihood and then jeopardize my personal life and my family. I have to make those decisions and I'm required and expected by the public to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. So again, to say that it's strictly a paramilitary organization, I think that's a bit of a joke. We're we're not. You're you're required to have your own thought process. You're required. We are deemed a profession, not just a job. Like you are a profession. And, And that's a big, you know, leap when you look at different aspects of it. And so I get frustrated hearing that because I think we're much more than that. And it needs to be viewed as that. I think it's sometimes for upper management, it's a bit of a cop out because again, it's that you shall listen. And I've been told by, you know, a supervisor before I got into an argument with him because he put my life on the line and I disagreed with what he did. And he breached so many different internal policies and policies that were taught in the infancy of policing at the college. And I got into an argument with him and I got very frustrated because essentially I was told, I'm your supervisor. You will do what I say no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, we'll see how that goes. Like you and I will not get along because I will not just blindly follow you. I'm an independent officer. And that's a a very big point. You recognize that, Claudia. You recognize that. But how many young people, and they are, they're young that start out in policing. How many how many of them do get that? Get that they don't. They are required by law to have an opinion. They are required to look at the facts, the issues, and make a decision based on what they perceive to have happened. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. Like you're, you're saying, it it is 
true. And it's, and I think about my career and how many people actually really get that. Not very many. I don't think so. And, and again, I think that's oftentimes where a lot of younger officers, when you see jaded younger officers, I think it's because they've done something that they were asked to do, or they Mm -hmm. did or dealt with the call the way that they've been shown to deal with it, be it by, you know, a senior officer um, on their platoon or a supervisor. And then when they do it, it just happens to be that one time they get in trouble and nobody backs them up. So then they end up getting a charge under the Police Services Act, or maybe because they're still under that one year where they can be fired, right? That They're on the probation period that they lose their job. And again, nobody backs them up. Yeah, because that's what they were told to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that's when they really start to realize, well, shit, like I need to make my own decisions because ultimately I'm the only one who's going to stand up for myself and for what I did. And I need to make sure that I'm covered. I think that's when really a lot of them start, it starts to sink in. And then that's when they talk to their buddies. And, but that's when it's almost, that's almost too late. They're jaded and they're upset mm-hmm. and, and they're, you know, they become, I'm just going to do my calls and I'm going to do the bare minimum and I'm just going to hang in there for the next however many well, years. Well, and it becomes not thriving at work, it becomes trying, just trying to survive at work. Mm-hmm. And that's just joyless for all of us. Like that's not what we signed up for. That's not what we, you know, I got just like you, I got more joy from dealing with the public, you know, even, even though it was bad circumstances, but just to, to be there for them and, and help them and give them resources and so forth was just, that's what I looked forward to rather than the gong show of how I was, you know, bureaucracy, organizational yeah. yeah. I mean, even to like, you know, when I was an acting sergeant, I would have uh, the some of the guys on parade wouldn't, and I would be doing roll call and they wouldn't respond. <laughs> like, you know, and you're just like, really? It's like, so petty. It's just so petty. And it's purposely done to make me uncomfortable and let me know that we don't care. That they we don't respect you. We don't respect you. And we don't care that they made you uh, the acting sergeant. And how dare you? And I'm like, you know, I worked hard. Yeah. And I know I'm a good officer. But all of these things that accumulate, it just makes you just not want to be yeah. there. When I've described policing before to some people, I'm like, honestly, it's a kindergarten, but with money. Yeah. The kindergarten with money. <laughs> <laughs> Bullying, there's intimidation. There's cliques. There's, I don't want to talk to this person because, you know... But then you just add in the money aspect of it. So I, I find that that's the worst part is it, it's it's a big who do you know and who likes who, but then you just add in the fact that you get paid to do it. So, yeah. Um. So for you now, what next? What's next for you? I'm just going to keep plugging away. I mean, there's good days and bad days. There's days where I feel like, okay, I've got this and I'm going to try and be one of the people that promotes change. And hopefully that makes things better for, you know, other women that come along afterwards. And I can say that I had a help in that. Like that's ultimately what I would like to be able to do. But then there's bad days, right? So, I mean, I'm just going to keep plugging away. I just need to focus on myself as well and where I'm at mentally and make sure that I keep that in check as well, because ultimately my personal life, my work life supports my personal life. And ultimately, when I finish this career, what I have left is my personal life. 
So where I invest my time, where I invest the most of my energy is going to be on my family. Yeah, Good for you. That is what I have left when I'm done. And I think a lot of people realize that when they leave, whether you leave a service to go work somewhere else or you retire, suddenly everyone you thought were really, really good friends, nobody reaches out to you. You just, you're kind of just gone and, and that's it. And that's oh, fine. But since I've been suspended, Claudia, I haven't heard from any of my girlfriends from Peel that, I mean, I hear from, yeah, I haven't heard from so many of the people that were, have been in my life for 20 years, 20 years with these police women. And I just, I, it's sad. It's sad, but I, I just let that, that for me, then you aren't where I'm at and I can't let the energy, I just got to move on with what I, what I'm doing. Yeah. And so I think that's where I try, like, I want to absolutely try and invest some of my energy into promoting and trying to be, you know, an advocate for change and continue to try and break down those barriers of women can't do this or women can't do that, or they can't be in this unit or they can't be in that unit because... I just want to almost, again, prove that we do belong there and we're an asset there. Like you need, just like you need in multicultural jurisdictions, you need multicultural um, officers. You also need that other, you know, side of things. You don't, you're not just dealing with atypical men on the road. And when you go to calls, you're dealing with all kinds of people. So you need all kinds of views to be able to deal with problems because I might or someone else might come up with a better way to deal with it than you. And so to have the same like-minded person in one unit, all the same, I don't think it does that that unit for the service any justice. And so I'm just going to keep pushing forward. And But again, ultimately investing in my personal life because when I'm done, I want to be able to enjoy my retirement and enjoy my family and be able to really kind of put work behind me and focus on where I'm at at that point in my life. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you're strong enough to, and that, that's one of the things I do find with police women has we're all very strong. So they've picked the wrong crew <laughs> to sort of try and, um, you know, the word's out now, like it's out. Everyone's talking about it. Um, it can't be denied about what's happening and that there's systemic issues, not just with women, but with people of color, with LGBTQ, like all of it. Like I, I often wonder how many actual gay men there are in policing that can't and have not come forward because that environment does not allow them to, you know, thrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you for talking to us today. Well, thank you. I wish the best for your for your health and wellness. And uh, you know, we're always here to reach out uh, to, to reach out to us. Mo, did you have anything you wanted to say? I, I just really admire the bravery and I hear what you're saying that you're, you feel alone. And I've spent many years feeling alone when you're going into an office where you're the only one that, or you think you're the only one that thinks the way you do and it's tough. And so I admire you. I, I'm, I'm trying to give you strength if I can and just keep going head up. You sound amazing. <laughs> Uh, and you've done so many cool things in your career. And it's just such a shame that they're not seeing you as the asset that you are. So what's one, what's one last thing that you would like to say that you would, you think is important for the audience to hear? Well, I think for just because again, a lot of the topic is in relation to women. I just, I think for any women that are listening that are absolutely kind of feeling the same, um, just keep your head up and continue being you don't change yourself for someone else. And 
again, to anybody else, whether it's male, female, it doesn't take much to just stand up a little. And again, that might just be calling someone out on a comment and just letting them know that, hey, I'm listening and I don't think it's okay. Because those little changes, those little ripples is what's going to create an effect. And it, it might take time, but that will change. So just even those little little comments of letting people know that, hey, that's not okay and I don't stand for that would go a long way. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Behind Blue Doors podcast to catch the latest episodes. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And check out our website at www.behindbluedoors.org. Take care and until next time.